So this is like another here in chapter 13, you guys, this is another kind of transition point in the book of Acts. We've had a couple of them as we've been going along. And um, this is kind of where Paul's really going to, well, he's Saul still at this point, but um, we're going to see him go to Paul and we're going to see how he's really going to take off and be the guy taking charge, taking the reins as we finish the book of Acts. And um, we've been watching his transition and transformation since chapter 8 or 9, 9 I think maybe. Um, But it's continuing here. We're going to see some more of it today. And um, the the transition we're going to continue to see in Paul is, you know, it's, it's a transition that should be expected in all of us as Christians. Any and every one of us that call ourselves Christians, this should be happening um, in some capacity. So hear that part. In some way. We can't put it in a box, but in some way it should be how our lives are looking and changing and growing and transitioning. Okay? You know, it's just like a, it's a natural spiritual growth in, in Jesus. And that's what, that's what, um, that's what's continuing to happen with Paul here, and no doubt every other um, apostle and disciple, and everybody that's following Jesus in this time. But I heard a I heard a pastor say it like this, and just like these things, when we're talking about this natural spiritual growth, these things are the things that happen. It's just it's naturally going to happen when Jesus Christ is your Lord and the Holy Spirit lives in you, and so. Um, first thing, you get saved, right? You get to this point in life where um, you've been hearing the Holy Spirit, you've been hearing the Lord say, you know, maybe he's saying, you know, that's enough. I, I want you. I'm calling to you. Um, you know, don't do that. Come to me. Don't choose your way. And uh, and you get to this point where you finally surrender and obey his calling, right? You get saved. That's where it starts. And then because of being saved, you're thinking you're to yourself, okay. I have this new desire, this new what, you know, what's next? Well, then, you know, you, um, you start serving. You start wanting to serve others. You want start, you know, coming to church and, and wanting to um, help out and just like, how do, I, how do I learn and how do I serve? And then another thing that happens is um, you become sensitive. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sensitive to wanting to know, hear the Holy Spirit and and be able to listen and discern it. Is it my thoughts? Is it the Holy Spirit? Lord, how are you leading me? You, get, you become sensitive to that. Okay, and then, and then it carries on more and more. And then pretty soon you're saturated. Right? You're saturated. Like we've been reading here in the book of Acts. Continually filled and saturated with the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, these are, these are the natural progression of a growth as a Christian following Jesus. Okay, and then the last thing is then you're sent out. You don't you don't just hold it for yourself. And if this is me, this is I just God is mine and only mine. And um, nobody knows what's in my heart. Only God knows. Well, God created you and created me to go out and share the share his word. That's the only reason we exist. So that's the that's the part we get sent out. Right. So as we're going through this, um, the first part of this chapter 13, just. And we'll, we'll kind of hit on these again, but just kind of remember that. That's the natural progression of, um, of our lives 
when we call ourselves Christians, when we, we say that Jesus is our Lord, which means we are slave to him, which is better than being slave to sin and self, because that leads to hell. Jesus, being a slave to Jesus, making him our Lord, that leads to eternal life, right? So back in Acts chapter 5, um, it, there was guys that, were, that didn't like this gospel movement. You know, I mean, Jesus is getting traction. He's already, he's already um, ascended into heaven, but people are wanting, or the church is growing, and people are hearing the gospel, and they're being saved. And uh, the people that were against it in Acts chapter 5, they, you know, they say something along the lines of like, Jerusalem is absolutely saturated with this movement, with the gospel, with Jesus. It's absolutely saturated with it. Okay, so we've seen that. And then because of that, then we've, we've seen things start to be spread and move, people moving out and, and spreading the word. But wouldn't we, want, wouldn't we want that to be what people think of when they think of Palina, the Palina Valley? Wouldn't that be amazing if that's what people were thinking of like, Man, those are some God-fearing folk out there, man. Like, that's, Jesus abides out there. Like, God is, like, I pray this all the time in my house and on the ranch that we live on. I'm just like. Oh. Hey. Quiet. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's something I pray. Like, I just like, Lord. Would your, would your presence be known in the Papanaw family? Lord, would, would your presence be known on the shotgun ranch? Don't, let him, don't even let somebody drive by without getting a, a tingle or a twitch of like, oh man, Jesus is here or something. You know, <laughs> Dustin gets that creepy feeling around me all the time. <laughs> but uh, don't we wish that was the case for Polina? I mean, think of the summertime when all the people and the motorcyclists and Family members that come through here, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If that's what people thought of and, and felt when they, when they came through Polina, Prineville, anywhere and everywhere, fill in the blank. That's what we would want, just saturated with Jesus. So let's get into verse 1. Now in the church, that was in Antioch. Okay, you guys. What, like we've talked about it, but what's, what is the church? What is it? Somebody say it. What is the church? That's right. The body. The people that are in it. Right? We've talked about that a lot and we know that. It's a place to worship the Lord. It's a place to worship the Lord. Absolutely. But the, the, it's not the building. Right? We have, we have a building. Right? And that's amazing. And that's a blessing. And we're a steward of this place in this building. But it's, it's the people coming together as a body. That's the church. You know, when, when it started out in the... Um, in the Greek, when they, they would talk about the church, it was, it was like the called out ones is what it was, what is it referred to as? I can't say the Greek word, so I'm not even going to try, but it was, um, it was just referring to the called out ones, okay? And the original idea was even like this legal idea of like, um, would be anybody that would say, um, come out of their own homes and gather together in public or with other people, right? It was just like this, this term that was it was a legal term that they would describe people that would do that for all kinds of reasons, okay. But now, as we get into the um, this time that we're in now in the New Testament, we get to where it's like it's getting traction. Where now the the Christians they're they're being they've picked this name up and they're they're coming out of their homes and they're gathering together and assembling and they are um, you know they're worshiping God. 
Okay, so it's shifted to the Christian culture. So, but why do we come to church? Seriously, like, do we, do we think about that? Why do we come to church? Sometimes it's, you know, because Courtney wants me to, you know, or maybe it could be that. Maybe it could be, you know, um, oh, because I call myself a Christian and I have to at least do that. I, like, I ha- at least have to go to church, right? Um, you know, so like, so, but why do we come to church? Well, how about for the five things that we just listed off to begin with, right? We're saved. We want to learn about it. Then we're, we want to start serving. We can't help that. We have this desire. Then we, we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Then we're saturated in it. And then we're, we're going to be sent out. That's the five things. Do these, do these things, like, is this what leads us in our lives? Is what I'm getting at. Why are we coming to church? Is it for these reasons? Is it to grow that Jesus would be Lord of our lives and lead us in these things? It led Paul and Barnabas to what we're going to read about here in just a second. We'll finish verse 1. Um, so now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, oh man, Simon, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Minian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, these these guys. You got to remember um, a couple weeks ago we, we learned about Antioch and how it was just this melting pot of different kinds of people and cultures because we had the Orontes River on one side that led to the ocean, so it was a big trade route. We had a big highway on the other side, which was another trading route system. So this, it was a melting pot of all the different kinds of people. And we see right here that these are leaders in the church, right? This is, it started out in that day that like that was what led the churches, these prophets and these teachers. And God, God didn't care who, right? It was anybody and everybody. This Simon who was called Niger, Niger means black. It, it's, it's odds are this was a, a black guy from Africa that was one of the main dudes leading a church in Antioch. And church and Christianity and serving the Lord was getting traction in this town of Antioch that was because of it being a melting pot of all kinds of people. I mean, it was, it was a bad place. It was known for its pagan worship and the nastiest of the nasty. But it was getting traction. Jesus was moving. And so he's using all of these different kinds of um, different people from different backgrounds um, to, to be used and, and to go out and to be sent out and to teach people. And um, this, this guy, uh, Minion, I think that's how you say it, Minion. Okay, now this guy, he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Do you guys remember who Herod the Tetrarch is? He was the guy that killed John the Baptist. He was um, the guy that Jesus got sent to when they didn't know what to do with him when they were going to kill Jesus. So they sent him to, um, to Herod to um, say, you know, to make a decision for them. That was this guy. Okay. Um, that's the Herod that he's talking about. So Minion and Herod, when it talks about they were brought up together, it's talking about they were like foster brothers of some kind. So they grew up together as kids. Now, boy, they made different choices, didn't they? 
And think about our choices and what the path and the trajectory that we go because of our choices. We have these two guys that grew up together of brothers of some capacity, and one of them chose Jesus. And now he's leading and like part of the forefront of church being started in Christianity, Christianity really taking off. And then you have Herod the Tetrarch that killed John the Baptist, was a part of killing Jesus. Just And there's like, it goes back to his dad was terrible and the whole family was just rotten. So choices, right? So here these five guys are. And, um, and it says, as they ministered to the Lord in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They ministered to the Lord. You guys remember back in the um, Gospel of Mark, we taught on this of where it, it, I'm totally paraphrasing, I don't even remember the verses, but where it says that these, the, these, these gals that were with Jesus, they ministered to Jesus. It's interesting because it kind of sounds like they're telling Jesus what to do or teaching Jesus. Well, they're ministering to the Lord right here. They're worshiping God. They're, they're searching answers from God. They are wanting to learn from God. They're wanting, that's what this ministering is talking about. And so they're ministering to the Lord. They can, you can just imagine if you put yourself in a situation, they're thinking, man, things are going good here, but we've got we've to spread. We've got to tell more people. Antioch is, is being, you know, um, changed and God is moving here. But now we have to do, the Lord is calling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us to, um, to do something. And they're, they're just, they, they can feel it and they're wanting to know what that is. And so when, we're, when we talk about ministering, it's, it's not just for the pastor talking to the congregation. Ministering to people is what we do as a church when you come in and you see a brother or sister that's maybe sad or you ask them how their week is and they tell you how, how their week is and you're able to speak into their life and point them towards Jesus. That's ministering. We're all to be ministers. Every one of us to be ministers to the Lord. All for the Lord's glory. Okay, so, so they were ministering to the Lord and they fasted and the Holy Spirit said, all right, time to send Barnabas and Saul out to do some work. So when we think about that, and we're thinking about why do we come to church? You know, was it, do we just come to church to see what the Lord has to offer us? Is that why we come to church? Well, yeah, a little bit, right? Because we have to grow and we have to, we have to be taught and stuff. But do we understand that that's, as like those five things that we just listed, like that's not, that's not the reason. We don't come to church to get fed. We come to church and, and stay there, hear that. We come to church to get fed, to grow, to learn, and then to go out, right? That's what, that's what we do. This church is for God. It's so we can come here and learn and be used by Him, for Him. That's why we come to church. It's not just to come and sit and I can call myself a Christian and do nothing else. That's not what church is for. So, He's going to send uh, Barnabas and Saul out. And you have to understand too, Barnabas and Saul, if you remember back, Barnabas comes to Antioch. He's sent to Antioch. 
from the guys in Jerusalem, right? And then he realizes he's got all this different backgrounds of people in this melting pot of cultures of people. And he says, who's the guy that would be best for this place? And he thinks of Saul of Tarsus, right? Because Saul is, he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew, he's a Greek, he's a Roman, he's all of these things. He's well studied. He, he studied under Gamaliel, the guy that said the only problem with Saul was that there wasn't enough books for him to read. Like Barnabas says, okay, yeah, that's the guy that needs to be down here. So you got to remember, Paul and, I'm sorry, Saul and Barnabas, they're the ones that is getting the church rocking and rolling in Antioch. And then, so these guys, all these other guys, they love them. They want them to stay there. But they're, what are they doing? They're obeying the Holy Spirit and they realize, man, we don't want these guys to go, but these are the guys that the Lord is calling to send out and to go and spread the word of God. So you can imagine that they're like, they're bummed about this, but they fast and they pray and they, they hear from the Lord altogether and, it, and they realize that it's, it's them that needs to be sent out. They understand how powerful Saul of Tarsus will be going amongst the Jews and the Gentiles because of his background. I forgot where I was at. Then, okay, so then having, in verse 3, then having fasted and prayed, and they laid hands on them and sent them away. You guys, in Scripture, it's always, you never see fasting without prayer in Scripture. The world does different things of fasting, and it's just fasting to lose weight or cleanse your body or this and that. But in Scripture, you never ever see fasting without prayer. It's, it's for a reason, It's right? It's like to um, rely on God more than anything that the, the world can give us. It's an act of obedience when you fast and pray. So that's what these guys were doing. They were, they were being, um, they, they understood the call. They heard the call from the Holy Spirit. And so they fasted and they prayed and they laid hands on them to send them away. Now laying hands, it can seem weird and, it, and um, we, but you do see it in the church and it is biblical. And it's, sometimes it gets mixed up. Sometimes it's like, Okay, we, we're going to decide and we're going to lay hands on this person and then all of a sudden, boom, they've got the gift to go do something you wanted them to go do. That's not the case. When appropriately in Scripture, when, when someone lays hands on someone, it's ordaining them for doing and acknowledging something they've, that they, you're, they're going to go do that they've already been doing. That's how they do it. And so then it's just this example of faith, trusting that the Lord has the, His hands on them Speaking to them that this person has always already been doing this stuff. This person is called to go. And now we're just having faith that the Lord is going to put his hands on us. We're going to put our hands on them and acknowledge that they should go and use this gift that they've, oh, God has already gave them. It's not a, we don't get to pick is what, is what we're getting at. In verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, Right? It's kind of back to what we just talked about there. Sent out by the Holy Spirit. Not by, um, the, not by the congregation or not, you know, people's popular vote. Not by popular vote. How about that? Right? Sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, a little side note. Barnabas was fr- from Cyprus. So... Oh, that's a good place to start. Let's go start the ministry there. I'm familiar with it. I know some guys that need Jesus. And when they arrived in 
Salamis. There's too many of these hard ones, names and stuff. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They, um, in synagogues of the Jews, they also had John as their assistant. Okay, back to those five things. So, God is a missionary God, isn't he? When we, and we can start this from the start of Scripture. From, from Genesis 11 and 12, where we have Abraham, and he's told by God to leave. <laughs> Do we have a little slip back What? There? What is happening? I don't know. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> so we have this God that is a missionary God. This is his plan from the beginning, right? We have Genesis chapter 11 and 12, where Abraham is sent out away from out of his home. Didn't we just talk about that? Sent out once. He's sent out away from his home to go and proclaim God, right? We have... In the New Testament, what do we see with Jesus? He's sent from heaven to earth to proclaim God, to proclaim himself, that he's the Savior. We have an Acts where Jesus leaves and sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit, sends him out to, to everybody so that everybody can have Jesus at one time. He was a fully man. He had to leave, remember? So his Helper could come and be everywhere at once. Sent out. The apostles were sent, weren't they? They were sent out when Jesus was with them. They were sent out after Jesus ascended. So, do we understand the difference between disciples and apostles? Now, yes, the apostles of the Bible were the apostles because they walked with Jesus, right? And then you have Saul of Tarsus that Jesus came down and he was with Jesus there. But it also is apostle means sent out, right? So you have disciples. Disciples are students learning of God. And then you have apostles, the ones that are sent out, right? You have to, back to those five things, there's these growing natural spiritual growth from a disciple to apostle of being sent out, right? God is a God of mission, to missionary work. Prior to this, everybody that was spread, being spread, talking about the Lord, their mission was run for your life or you'll die. Now, you guys, this is a part of the, of the scripture that we're getting into where the church, the body, the people of Christ are sending people out. Not because they're running for their lives, they're sending them out. Verse 6. Now then, now when they had gone through the land of Paphos, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But they let... Elimus, the sorcerer, 
for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. The faith. Okay, this guy, Sergius, it says that he was an intelligent man. Anybody that wants to know the word of God is an intelligent person. Anybody. If you want to know the word of God and you want to know Christ, I would say that's the smartest thing you could want to learn or know in your entire life. And it can help, it will definitely help you here on earth, but it's also, I mean, it's going to be the thing that absolutely teaches you and to gives you, gives you this, um, if you want to say like a career or something that will never go away, right? We're talking about heaven. So this guy's a smart guy. He's in, he's the, um, a part of the pro council and the pro council is simply just like a governor in the Roman government. Um, not necessarily the same as like Pontius Pilate. The only difference is, and not, I mean, it's not a big deal or much detail, I guess, but, um, Pontius Pilate, he dealt directly with the emperor. This guy, he was like a different part of, he governed an area, but he dealt like his higher ups was not quite as high up as the emperor. But anyways, he was a, he was a governor and it says here that he was an intelligent man, but it's because when, as he's hearing the gospel, as he's hearing about Jesus, he's smart enough to realize that it's, this is some good stuff. It's something that is worth wanting to know about. And he wanted to know more. Okay, if we look at um, John chapter 8, verses 20, or 31 and 32, um, where Jesus says, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, we can assume these are the kinds of things that, that these guys were preaching to these guys and this guy was an intelligent enough guy to want to know more. And so he sought out Saul and Barnabas to know more of the word of God. So this sorcerer in verse 8, Elimus, whatever it is, Elimus, it's the, it's the same false prophet it's talking about in verse 6 prior to that. Okay. Um. So it's interesting because in verse 6, it says, I think it says, yeah, it says that he's a Jew. That's interesting because in the Jewish culture, if you were to be a sorcerer, the punishment is death if you were Jewish. So this is interesting. This guy is a Jew, but he's also a sorcerer, and obviously a, he's a false prophet. So you can imagine, so this guy is a Jewish religion, Right? But he must have had an open mind. He must have liked some other religions that he had come across as life had went on around him. And so, isn't that a dangerous thing to be? Just to, like, yes, we need to be open-minded. We don't want to have just this closed mind of, of, not, of understanding Christ and, and some mysteries that come with God, absolutely. But it's a dangerous place to be, to have this open mind of, like this guy, that... Okay, I can believe my religion, quote unquote, but then also I kind of like these people's religion as well, and then, and then this religious group, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of mold it and shift it and make it to the way I like it, because then I can continue to live my life the way I want to live it. Isn't that a dangerous place to be? I mean, that's definitely dangerous. This guy's this guy's a. We're going to get into this where it doesn't look good for him. It doesn't go well for him. 
But that's no different for us today. That's no different for people that we know that, that try to do that stuff, try to mold and like just put little pieces together and, oh, that's, that's good enough. That, that's, I'm religious. I go to church. But don't, none of these other gr- spiritual growth stuff we've been talking about, none of this is happening. But I, it doesn't need to because I've kind of adopted all these different things. That's how this guy was. It was clear. He, there's no way he could have been a, a normal Jew and been a sorcerer. So it's interesting, guys. Doesn't, um, doesn't Satan use religion all the time? Think about that. Satan uses religion all the time. But it goes kind of both ways. Because Satan also, like all of us sitting here today that are sinners. And we, we've all sinned today. At some point. Whoever hasn't, come on up and switch me places, right? But doesn't Satan use it on that side of the coin of like, people that live for Jesus, love Jesus, Jesus is their Lord, but still sin and stumble in front of other people, well then, well, that puts a bad taste in people's mouths. They call us hypocrites. Yes, they're not understanding that we understand that we're sinners and we acknowledge we're sinners, but... It, it, it doesn't help things. That's Satan using religion. And I, I'd say that lightly because I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be, be a part of a religion. But anyways, the point is, is that Satan constantly uses religion constantly. You know, churches get too big or something and, and they kind of get their eyes off of Jesus or they always have whatever that might be, you know, Satan's using religion to pull people away. Feel good messages where you don't, you're not told that you're a sinner. Where you're not told that you um, need to let Jesus be the Lord of your life and have obedience and obey his word. Some churches don't teach that. They say, you know, your best, what is it? Your best now? Get your, oh, come Live on. Your best life now. Live your best life now, they, they teach. That's, that's just teaching someone and holding their hand straight to hell. Satan's doing that. Satan's using religion. He does it all the time. So let's see right here. Um, this guy, so that's what this guy was doing. He was using sorcery um, and he was trying to persuade the proconsul away from the faith. And in verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who is called Paul, right here is the first time he's called Paul. And from here on out, he's going to be called Paul. Paul was a Jew. So at eight days old, he was circumcised. He was, gave, he was given the Hebrew name Saul. That's what his parents called him. On day nine, he is a, um, he's a Roman as well. His dad's a Roman. He's, so he's a Gentile. So he gets his Gentile name, his Roman name, which is Paul. But as we see through the rest of the book of Acts, Acts of Paul, some people say, on, from ch- chapter 13 on, He's going to be dealing and his ministry is going to be, yes, to the Jews. As it says there that they spoke to the Jews in verse uh, 6 or something like that. Um, But it's mostly to the Gentile world. He's going to go by his Gentile name. You know what I mean? Um, So that's, that's what it is from now on. It's Paul. And so this gets better, you guys. So filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk to this sorcerer guy. And isn't it, you know, like he's, so he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's just going to be, just really lovingly disagree with this guy, right? 
He's just going to be so nice and, and just love them well by not ruffling this guy's feathers is how he's going to do it. No. Anybody read ahead? No. Nobody? You guys going to read ahead? Because <laughs> I'm totally lying. That's not what happens. It says, but this, don't miss this part. He's filled with the Holy Spirit when he does this right here. Here's what he says. Filled with, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went among seeking someone to lead him by the hand. How loving and nice was that? It was loving, you guys. It was absolutely loving. Paul loved these, this guy and the people that are, this pro-council, these people that are around him. He loved them enough to ruffle feathers and to give the truth. This is going to be, this is, this is a bold statement that I'm going to say right now. It's bold, I get it. But I feel comfortable. You guys are like you guys are family to me. I, I think I think I'm I I feel like I have the okay from you to say it. But if any of us, yeah, Courtney's freaking out right now. <laughs> if any of us, back to this um, open-minded doctrine, right, and this open-minded belief of how I can live how I want. If any of us think that that's okay in any way, and we are gonna tell people, oh. Just, you know, you can go to church. You don't have to even believe, for, believe in God out in the middle of nowhere by yourself. That's okay, too. You know, I, yeah, it doesn't say it in Scripture, but if, if any, any of us proclaim any of these kinds of things that are not biblical, I'm ruffling your feathers. I'm calling you guys out right now, any of us. Amen. Look, I'm telling you, I can think of a time this week where I did not represent Christ well. So there's, there's a, in a way, this can fall onto me. Have I repented of this? Yes, absolutely. Do I know the difference? Yes, absolutely, because of the Word of God. But this should be very serious to us if in any way we think that we don't have to obey Christ the way He says. God of the earth, the creator of the world, that created us, says there's a way we need to live that is free. Free indeed. We just read that in John. By abiding in Him. That's freedom. That's what he wants. But it, it's his way. That, it's what he says. Sorry, guys. Like, there's, there's no other way. Right? So those are tough words, but Paul says tough words. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, does it also say something along the lines of, um, you know, Jesus is as soft as turtle doves or something like that? Yes. There's obviously, there's moments and there's times and there's ways to talk to people and correct people and stuff. But man, do we love people enough to tell them that just coming to church is not good enough? It's just a building. If we're not serving, if we're not being emptied out and filled with the Spirit and being sensitive to want to hear the Spirit and being saturated by the Spirit and then understanding this is just to go out and further the kingdom. It's not just for Joe's salvation. That's not what this is about. That's not why I'm up here. I wish I was, I wish this I was, sin wasn't so deep in me that I wish I could just literally not think about heaven. I could just do it because I'm supposed to do it. 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be like a diligent person for Christ? Now, praise God for heaven. I'm, you know, hear that. I'm thankful that there's eternal life with, um, without sin. I ran it farther than I thought. There. Um. Okay. So, how about this, you guys? Same thing. Same little section here, 9 through 11, where um, Paul is lovingly dropping the hammer on this guy. Who does this sound like? I've heard some people say that, oh, they don't really like Paul because he didn't really do ministry like Jesus did. But who does this sound like? This, like this very direct, very, you know, um, I'd say righteous anger, you could almost say maybe. I wasn't there, but I'm assuming. Who does it sound like? How about the guy that um, this said in um, John chapter 8 again, verse 24, the guy that said, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, and you will die in your sins. How about the guy that said um, in that same chapter, verse 43 and 44, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Talking about the devil being your father. Those, his, the devil's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it being a liar. How about the guy, does this sound like what Paul did here in these verses? Does it sound like the same guy that flipped over tables in the, in the, in the temple when they were making it a den of thieves and just, and, um, what's the word, just like destroying the temple, not, being, not taking care of it, not loving the Lord? The guy that made a quart of whips and ran those guys out of there. Just whipping them, chasing them down. Okay, you're getting what I'm saying here, like Jesus. So he's filled by this Holy Spirit, it says. He says these things. These things are hard words to hear and to say. You could be sure of that. But where did he learn it from? Jesus. Jesus said these things. Jesus constantly was calling the Pharisees and these guys hypocrites for what? Having this open mind where I can pretend to be like this, say I'm this, but I'm not. Jesus, that's a, that's a good person to be following by saying these things and loving people the, enough to tell them the truth. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened and had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, Paphos, something like that, they came to Perga, in Pamphylia, are you kidding me? <laughs> and John departed them from them, returning to Jerusalem. You guys, it's a big enough deal. What we just like, I was just hammering on there, you guys, um, that they just heard these things. 
about abiding in Jesus, this guy, this proconsul, the um, what's his name, Sergius. It was enough for him to believe. He was an intelligent man, it says. And then they see this rebuking happen, and they understand. And it says right there that they believed when they saw what had been done, and they were astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It's interesting what they they saw along with this this tongue lashing. They saw this guy blinded, didn't they? It says that Paul told them that um, indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. So he's he's saying that the Lord is doing this. Paul didn't do it, but um, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell upon him and he was blind and looked for someone to lead him. Where do you think Paul got that? Yes, the Lord did it, but where, does it sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> this is, Paul was blinded, wasn't he? Yep. And again, we just talked about the credentials of Paul. Like he thought he was doing good stuff for the Lord when he was persecuting and he was religious and, and he was serve, doing God a favor by killing people. Paul goes on to tell us how it was the, he was the worst of the worst of sinners. I taught on this a while ago, but you guys, I relate with Paul like nobody's, not maybe not like nobody's business, but I relate with Paul because of that, of like the blindness and the living in straight carnal wretchedness and wickedness. Like that was, I was Paul. I was the same. And it was blind doing it, not even realizing it. And so Paul understands right here and he loves this guy. This is where you get this part of where he loves this guy. He, he loves the guy enough to tell him these things, but he also understands when he's like, Saying this guy's going to go blind for a while. Like he understands how important that is. He needs to be set down on his heels, knocked off his feet for three days, helpless, looking for someone to lead him. A guy like Paul that, man, there was nobody, there's nobody, like he's one of the smartest dudes there was back then. And he had it wrong. That, like that should, we should think about that. Like, man, what do, what do we have wrong? Are we living by the word of God? Is, is my life look like these five things? Is my spiritual natural progression of growth in Christ these things? Get saved. Serve. Be sensitive. Be saturated in the spirit. Be sent out. You know, I think, I think um, man, Dustin, you can come up if you have another song like that's. Nothing else needs to be said. I don't think about that that section of scripture. You know, I think that's that's the word for all of us. All of us can slip into that. All of us can, you know, a couple days gone, a couple days not reading the word, um, not being plugged in. We we feel this pull. I know you do. I do. I know everybody does. Lord God, we just come to you in prayer, Father. We just thank you for your word, Lord. It is so rich and real. Uh, Lord, I just, I just want to minister to you, Lord, right now. I pray that this church of Plano would minister to you and just praise and worship you and make you the Lord of our lives. And Father, would you, if you've got to blind us, blind us. If you've got to, man, make us hit whatever kind of bottom is our bottom to make us realize that we need to look up to you, do that, please, God. That's not, that's not sad and doom and gloom and bad news, Lord. That's the good news of you, Jesus. Is you're waiting to take the scales off our eyes, to use us, to speak to us, to make us disciples, students, 
and give us the desire to be apostles, the ones that are, that are, are equipped and sent out. Would you do that work in us, Lord? Would you use us to do this, to lead our children to this? Family members, friends, every tongue, tribe, and nation. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your amazing name. Amen.